0: Words that Christ spoke as He was hanging there, and as we've gone through that, we're now on the sixth saying. So there's one more lesson left in this. But today, what we're going to look at is, it is finished. So as we as we go through this today, um, as I was just saying, my desire, the goal is that you can take at least one thing, one thing out of it, apply it to your life today, meditate on it throughout the week, and let God make a difference in your life. So let's go to the Lord's prayer, and then we'll get started. Precious Father, Lord, come to you. Um, just ask God that you would take this lesson, that you would glorify yourself through it, that Christ would be lifted up and that um, you'd move me out of the way, Lord. Father, that um, as your word is proclaimed, that that's what uh, the people here today would, would walk away with, is your word. Not my stammering lip or my stumbling tongue. But uh, God, that you would just, you would be in our presence today in everything that's said and done. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So the we're going to go by review here. The first um, saying that Christ mentions from the cross is in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, if you want to turn there. I cheated, I have them all written down here, but you know, Um, Luke 23 and 34. And it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. So in this first saying, we see a heart of forgiveness. You know, because... When you think about it, I mean, Christ has been beaten. He's been whipped. He's been nailed to the cross and hung between the earth and sky. He's in pain. He's suffering a lot of things right now. The creator of all, knowing full well why he was there, The creator of all knowing, even from the beginning of time, that this was where he was going to be, right? It didn't take him by surprise that he's on the cross. The creator of all knew that he was going to be beaten and whipped and spat upon and tormented. And yet, what's he do? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, I'm sure Satan felt like, man, I got one up now. Christ is on the cross. He's going to die. But it was the plan all along that he was going to have to go. And so while the actions of men are barbarous and, and hurtful in, in all these things, in his tender and his loving heart, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're just, they're, they're part of the plan. The second saying is in Luke 23, verse 43. And this is where he's talking to the, the thief on the cross next to him. He says, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so again, as we look at all the things that's going on, he's hanging on the cross. He's in pain, and he suffered a lot. And yet still, in God's sovereignty and in his power, what's he do? There's a man that's repenting of his sin and asks forgiveness, and he shows his power once more, and he says, Your sins are forgiven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. If we go to John chapter 19, is the next saying. John 19, verse 26 and 27. He says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the si- disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. And so as Pastor Humphrey was uh, talking about this um, in his lesson, you know, it doesn't say that she wasn't there for the rest of the crucifixion, but it does say from that hour he took her to his home. So the idea is that, you know, at that point, the disciple says, okay, let's go. You don't need to see the rest of this. You know what it's going to end in. But we see a love for Mary and we see him making provision for her that she would be carried away and taken care of and not have to endure And then in Matthew chapter 27 we see the fourth saying. Matthew 27:46. And it says, "And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so when we think about this, God forsaken of God, um, you know, the, the father turns his back on the son, he can't look at his son because of the sin of the world being placed upon him. You know, for the first and only time in the existence of God, there's a separation between the father and son. While Christ bore the penalty for mankind's sin, he then had to endure that, that pain of separation. As the father turns his face from his son and, and, and the sky turns black and there's darkness for the space of three hours... The answer to the question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's something that, you know, I would say that in our own finite mind, we could never even really start to wrap our minds around. You know, I mean, as a child of God, we we understand... You know, the grace and peace we have in His presence. But we don't understand a relationship that is so close that you, know, you think alike and you understand 100%. And so the question, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of your sin and mine. Because of the sin of the whole world. It was so um, vile that God... The father couldn't even look upon his son. And then the fifth saying, as we go to there, is in John chapter 19 again. And verse 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And there's a lot of things that we could pull out of this even. But, you know, here we see just strength in, our, in, in the flesh, right? I mean, Christ has been beaten. The blood loss is huge. I mean, his visage, his face, his body was so marred that he didn't even look like a man. And all the things that he endured, one of the physical responses in our body as we lose blood is that our mouth goes dry, our tongue sticks to, to the roof of our mouth, You know, it's even to, to breathe is hard, let alone the fact that he's hanging on the cross and having to pull himself up and push up on these nails that are in his feet so he can get a breath. You know, on top of that, you know, these other things. You know, he says, I thirst. And Psalm chapter 22, verse 15, it says, my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. So, you know, prophecy being even fulfilled while he's on the cross. Today, we're actually going to go over John chapter 19, verse 30. And we'll get into the lesson here. He says in John 19:30 when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so, as we we look at this lesson today, um, we're going to look at the significance of the saying, It is finished. We're going to look at what is finished. Said it is finished, and so you say, okay, what what is? And then the third thing that we're going to look at is we're going to identify the effects of the phrase "it is finished." Who is affected by it? So as we start here, the significance of the word "it is" the phrase "it is finished." Um, there's three times in, in the Bible that we can specifically look at. Where God was involved, and, and that phrase or that idea that it's done, it's finished, it's over with, are brought up. The first is in creation. So if you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. says genesis 2 1 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them so the idea would be here that uh you know six days have have gone by he's created the heavens and the earth and while we're here let's park for just a second you know one of the things that um seth is always really good about bringing out when we're at prison And we're in there ministering. You know, these people will say, oh, well, you know, there's this or there's that. And and he's like, do you believe Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can't get people to believe that right there, it doesn't matter if we talk about it as finished. It doesn't matter if we talk about anything else. You need to have people understand God is God, and we are responsible to God. So, side note. So here he is. God has made the heavens and the earth. He's created the land, the water, the air, the plants, the animals. He even creates mankind. At that point, he says, it's done. It's finished. And when he did that, in its perfect sense, what did he say about it? It was very good. So the only thing left after that was, you know, God had created, uh, formed Eve, rather, out out of the rib of Adam. But the idea is it was done. There was nothing else that needed to be added. He didn't have to create anything else. Nothing else had to be built. It was done. And so many times in our lives, when we read God's Word... And we find truth in it, how many times we sit there and we say, oh, well, maybe instead of taking God's word and saying, there's the bottom line, it's done. I need to be, as James says, not just a hearer of the word, not just I read it and yeah, that's good, but I need to be a doer. I need to take it, apply it to my life. So, the second time that we look at where this phrase or this idea that God's drawn the line and said it's over with, it's done, is in Revelations chapter 16. In Revelations chapter 16, verse 17, you know, it's um, as you're turning there, I'll keep going. But the idea is the vials have been poured out, the wrath of God has been taken place upon the earth, and the second coming of Christ is at hand. So Revelation 16 and 17 says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Everything that I'm going to do, I've done. It's done. The word finished in Genesis and the word done in Revelations bears a similar significance to the phrase that we see on the cross, it is finished. And the Greek word in, you know, from it is finished is teleos, which means to bring to a close, to finish, to end, to perform, to execute, to complete, to fulfill. And we look at those, there, there's, there's nothing else that needs to be done, right? It, it, it's like the period at the end of a sentence. It ends that sentence. If we look at the phrase from the cross, it is finished, we say it's done. There's nothing else that needs to be done. If you look at, it, I don't know any, if anybody here has watched the movie The Passion. But in the movie The Passion, the guy that is portraying Christ on the cross, he doesn't say it is finished. He says it's accomplished. So that Greek word is different. And so instead of teleos which is, it is finished. It's epitelio, which is similar, but is not correct. And so the idea of epitelio means to fulfill further, to perform, undergo, bring to pass, or do. To look at those while they're similar, But there is a significant difference between those two. To finish, to end, to perform, to execute, to complete, to fulfill. And when you look at the other, you know, to undergo, to bring to pass, or do, fulfill further, it gives us this idea that, you know, Christ's death is either significant or Christ's death is sufficient. Difference in that. Well, if Christ's death was significant, it means that it made a difference in our relationship with God, but it was not complete. We must do our part, right? And and we know that there's a lot of religions out there that it's well, I have faith But I also have to do this. Titus 3.5, not by righteousness what I have done. Right? But through Christ. So if Christ's death is sufficient, what's that mean? It means it's complete. I don't have to do anything else. I simply need to come to Him and repent and ask for forgiveness. I don't have to take Mass. I don't have to be Sprinkled. I don't have to be taking the sacraments. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Christ's death was sufficient. So, Christ saying it is finished was simply saying, I have finished my work and it stands forever. These words do not signify the ending of his life, but merely the ending of the work he had come to earth to accomplish. So, in the grammatical sense of it, this word or this phrase, it is finished, it's in the perfect tense which means past, present, and future, forever is done. So then we look at our second point, which is what was finished? What was it that he was talking about? You know, some say, oh, well, it was because he fulfilled prophecy. And when we look at the the, uh, saying from the cross it was just before this one, Was I thirst? It says in in the fulfillment and things were accomplished. But there was more prophecy that was going to be fulfilled even after Christ had said, it is finished. Even after Christ gave up his life and laid his head there was still prophecy that took place while he was hanging on the cross. And we'll get into that. Psalm 31.5 says, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. And this is actually the last saying that Christ makes from the cross. And Pastor Humphrey will cover that next week that's in Luke 23, 46. But the point being is the fact that while things were finished, the work of salvation was finished, there was still more prophecy to be fulfilled. Yes, He had fulfilled all prophecies. But there is more to it is finished than just that. And if you look at Psalm 34, verse 20, There's another uh, fulfillment of prophecy. And this, of course, is after his death. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. So, you know, if you remember correctly, the, the, uh, the Jewish leaders were like, well, we can't have these men hanging on the cross because the Passover, so they need, they need to be taken out. And so the soldiers, what did they do? They went and they broke the legs of the two thieves so they would die quicker, right? But when they went to Christ, he had already given up the ghost, he had already died, and so not a bone was broken. And even when you think about that, the beating, the whipping, the punching, everything that Christ went through and not a bone was broken, that's pretty amazing. But he's a holy God and he can fulfill prophecy. So as we uh, get back to this here, it means, it is finished means It goes far beyond completion prophecy. It meant I was obedient to the Father's plan. And I would even dare say that, you know, I mean, it was the plan of the Godhead that someone was going to have to pay that penalty on the cross. And so Christ, when beginning of time, it was His plan too. They were of the same mind, right? So they knew this is what was going to have to happen. And so, if it wasn't just prophecy that was finished, then what was finished? The final sacrifice for sin. The final payment for your sin and mine. That's what was finished. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 7 through 10. Then said I, Lo, I come, In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first and that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I don't think it really needs any explanation there. What was finished? Christ came, lived his life, died on the cross, bearing your sin and mine. In Mark chapter ten, verses forty-five. Doing sword drills today. Who's getting there first? Mark chapter ten, verse forty five. I'm not first, that's for sure. <laughs> Mark ten forty five. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see here that, you know, what is finished was the fact that Christ came to show the world that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And in that living his perfect life and dying on a cross and burying our sin, what was finished was the fact that he had made that final sacrifice. In, for, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, All we like sheep are gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians five. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So what was finished? The final sacrifice. So because the veil or because the payment of sin was completed, we have access to God through Christ, right? And so, have proof of it. So, in the days of sacrifices, and the priests going to the temple and and burying the the Holy of Holies, there was the veil that separated them, right? No one was allowed to go in there except for the high priest. That was only once a year to make... Atonement. Even in that, the priest had a rope tied to their foot. And so if he went in and he wasn't pure and ready, he would die in the presence of God, right? So they had to drag him out. So this, this veil, and I failed because I was going to find the dimensions of this, but imagine, if you will, even if you take, and I know the veil was a lot thicker than just two inches, but if you take two inches of material and you try to tear it, it ain't going to happen, right? And this thing was super thick. And it didn't tear from the bottom up. It tore from the top down. God signifying it's done. There's now a way to me through Jesus Christ. Another proof that we have that uh, God's final sacrifice, that Christ's final sacrifice was sufficient is the fact that the tomb is empty. Right? Because if If Christ's payment for our sin, if he wasn't worthy enough for that payment for sin, then he'd still be in the tomb. God would not have rose him again. Which brings us to our final point, and that is the effects of it is finished. what has changed because Christ said it is finished mankind across the board was affected by this phrase it is finished if you go to Romans chapter 3 Romans chapter 3 and 19. And as we look at this, Romans 3 and 19 through 23, as we read this, I want you to look and understand that what we see is the law is giving us proof that we cannot attain that righteousness. We cannot attain that relationship, right? So, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 23 says, Now we know that all things, that what things soever the law saith, and it saith to them who are under the law, that out every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So basically, he's telling us that, you know, because of the law, we can see that this is something that I can't even attain. James tells us that, you know, if you were to uphold the law in all points and offend in one, you are guilty of all. So even if we tried, we cannot attain to the holiness and the righteousness that we must for salvation because it's, it's not in us. Romans 5.12, Wherefore by sin entered into the world by one man, and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. Verse 21 of chapter 3, sorry, another rabbit trail. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What, you know, how is mankind affected by it is finished? Well, because Christ had made that final sacrifice, that final payment, He made a way that we could have that relationship with Him. If you go down from chapter um, in that same verse, so we're going to read verses 24 through 26, it says then, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through the faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes believe in Jesus. I can't believe in my God and find forgiveness through Christ. Mankind is changed forever because Christ is that final payment for sin as the holy and spotless lamb he afforded an opportunity for us to come to the Father and beg forgiveness and be redeemed forever not until I sin again and I got to do it again I can't lose my righteousness there I can't lose my salvation Because once I'm sealed by God, no one can pluck me out of his hand. Praise the Lord for that. Because I can tell you, I fail every day. Hate to admit it, but I fail probably every half hour. Maybe even every five minutes I fail, God. But I can't lose my salvation because it's in Christ's work on the cross. It's because Christ was on the cross and said, it is finished. That sacrifice is done. It's paid for. Yeah, Satan wants to accuse us and drag things up. You know, there's there's a song that I remember as a kid, you know, gospel song, What Sins Are You Talking About? I don't remember them anymore. In the book of life, it's all been drawn out. Praise the Lord that Christ's righteousness and blood has been applied to my life. And when God looks at me, that's what He sees. The other thing, or the other point to make out of this is that in Romans 6.23, which we should probably all have memorized... Is the fact that the word of God is very black and white. It tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? But there's a three-letter word in there, so huge, so huge. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, burning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in hell, falling forever and ever and ever and ever and ever in hell. Can't see anything forever and ever and ever and ever. Gnashing at teeth and, and screaming and crying out and all these things. You I mean, torment forever and ever, right? Because of sin. The wages of sin is death. But, let me draw that line, point. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, my Lord. If Jesus Christ isn't your Lord, today you can make a difference in that. You can come to Him today. You can come to Him now. You don't have to come up front. It's not that you have to pray some magical prayer. It is you simply coming to God saying, I'm wicked, I'm vile, I'm sinful, and I I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this life of sin. And I know that I can't do it on my own, God. You have to do the work in me, but please forgive me and make me new. You know, we had a young man in prison here. Oh, I guess it's I don't know. It's been probably almost two months, I guess, now, thinking about it. This kid come up to me after service, and he's like, I want to be saved. I said, Why? Well, he just said I need to be saved. I'm like, No, that's, that's not my question. Why? What is causing you to come to this point? And all he could say was, Well, that's what I was told I needed to do. And I said, Okay, well, to start with, It's not because somebody told you you need to do this. It has to come from God's word affecting your heart and you understanding where I'm at. And I can't change myself. And I want God to make me new. That's where it's at. You know, and I told him, I was like, it's not going to be any special prayer that I'm going to Say, and you're going to repeat me because one, two, three, repeat after me doesn't work. It has to be with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made. That's when salvation takes place. It's not because of something, yeah. I say it's not because of abracadabra, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's what everybody, so many religions out there make it something that is of works, that's due. You have to pray this prayer. You have to do this. You have to do that. My God, when He was hanging on the cross, that it was finished, it was done. There was only one thing for me to do, and that is repent. So Satan was also affected by Christ saying it is finished, right? Satan's known. Satan knows his fate. But like I said earlier, I'm sure that while Christ was on the cross, he's like, well, maybe, I was, maybe, maybe they're wrong. Maybe I got him. Maybe I'm going to win in this one no when christ said it was finished he paid the price he rose again on that third day sealed satan's fate there was no doubt in his mind at that point my eternal destination is the pit of hell so i tell you friend today as we draw this to a close Christ And Christ alone is the only way that you can be saved. It's not works. It's not, well, I'll pray this prayer and I'll do works. It's not Christ dying on a cross and my Lord and my God said it was finished. I believe it. And it doesn't matter if I believe it or not. He said it was finished. It's done. So I ask you today, where are you at? Have you come to the point in your life where you have trusted in the saying from the cross, it is finished? Have you come to that point where Christ is the all-in-all all so you can have a relationship with God. If not, today's the day. Don't put it off. We're not guaranteed to have our next breath. We're not guaranteed to walk out this door and go home and wake up tomorrow and go about our business as, as usual. There is nothing guaranteed in this life except that 10 out of 10 don't make it alive. There's a hard fact for you. 10 out of 10 don't make it out alive. Oh, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm 7, I'm 8, I'm 10, I'm young. I got my whole life ahead of me. 10 out of 10 don't make it out alive. Let's pray. Precious Father, Lord, we come to you and we do thank you, Father, for the promise in your word. We thank you, God, that a relationship with you isn't based on anything that we accomplish. We are frail, we are feeble, we're vile, we're wicked. There's nothing good about us. Even your word tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. But as Christ hung there on the cross and fulfilled the payment of sin and said, it is finished, it gives me hope. It gives hope to this dying world that the very God that spoke it into existence desires to have a relationship with me. Pray that you be with the remainder of our day, that Christ would be lifted up and glorified in everything that's said and done. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.